Hey, it's Aubrey's birthday. And also, it's Aubrey's birthday. It's Aubrey's birthday. <laughs> so his birthday is tomorrow. We're recording this on Sunday. And his birthday is on Monday. But then when you hear the episode, it's going to be on Tuesday. So his birthday <laughs> was yesterday. Yes. So... Happy birthday, Happy birthday to Aubrey. Give Aubrey a birthday. Love that guy. Yeah. yeah. Love that guy. He's a good, he's a good guy. He's a great guy. He's a good birthday guy. Birthday, birthday Aubrey. Times. <laughs> <laughs> Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. Hellboy book. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And Danielle Renee. Thank you for listening, everybody, and following us on our social media pages. I really appreciate it. And if you're enjoying the show, please rate and review us on iTunes or on whatever podcast service you're using. Um, We also appreciate the Facebook reviews. We've got some this week. Thank you, Adam White, for his review. Great in-depth book reviews from three well-informed hosts. Really been enjoying the podcast. Kane Gray says, I've been a longtime reader of the Mignolaverse. None of my friends are into it, so it's nice to have the three hosts sit down and discuss the stories, artwork, and trivia surrounding the stories. Crack open a cold one, sit down, and follow along with your trades, omnibus, and library editions. Oh, and sometimes they play cards. I saw that one. That was a good one. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. And we had some Hey You Damn Guys. Tom Hardman emailed us in, hey you damn guys, show's going from strength to strength. Good work. Just wanted to fire you a quick thank you. The podcast and surrounding discussion motivated me enough to turn my semi-coherent email ramblings into a three-quarter coherent article for Mignolaverse. So Tom Hardman, he wrote us um, about the Nazi submarine that was found in the Hollow Earth. Yeah, and then he ended up writing an article about it for Mignolaverse, and so oh wow, uh, yeah, awesome. that's really great. It's a really good read. It's not a hundred percent spoiler free for the next few BPRD volumes, but it doesn't give away any plot details. So thanks for the motivation. I'll have some more of these articles out soon, and I'll try to keep them lined up with your show's reading order. So I thought that was really nice. Awesome, and uh, congrats on the article. Yeah, it's a really good one. Complete side note, being as I'm not super knowledgeable about the world of comics, I'd love to hear some suggested reading from you guys. Stuff from outside the Mignolaverse Baltimore, but that you would recommend. So, yeah, I thought that that was really great. I'm really glad that we could motivate people to do some stuff, to do their own thing, and uh, that makes me really excited. What are, what are some of your comics that you would recommend? The first thing that comes to my mind would be The Sword by the Luna Brothers. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. That's it's, one of my favorites. It's um it's not open-ended. It's a it's got a beginning, a middle and an end. So it's like four trades and then there's also a collected edition um which I have. The really yeah, yeah. it's really nice. And uh no, it's 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 a good story. It's I would say it's it kind of explores ideas surrounding power and things like that, responsibility and 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 consequences and things like that so it's really interesting the art is fantastic it's by the luna brothers so yeah, i love the art in that thing two brothers <laughs> no it's really good i like that one also i like the luna brothers some of their other stuff uh sure yeah whispers They've was also good and ultra. girls girls yeah yeah i liked ultra a lot i don't know if i read ultra they did yeah, um that. i i don't know if maybe it was just the art but they did a spider woman kind of year one spider woman thing i forgot what it was called but it was that was really good too i don't know if i read that 
Um, it's worth checking out. It's just like four issues or okay, something like that. Anyway, oh, yeah, check out the Lunar Brothers then. Yeah, uh, and just I think, in general. I think Whisper was written by just one of the brothers. Right. Yeah. There's some other one. They have some yeah. other titles out there. But yeah, they're 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 wonderful, wonderful to read. But the sword, super good. Oh, definitely my favorite one. John and I have matching sword tattoos. (laughs) Yeah, it was very. Some trivia. It was very important um, for us. Yeah, that when we first started talking about comics, that was I think one of the ones that we were talking about. One of the very first ones. Yeah, that was our first book club. Eight years ago. Well, yeah, definitely was. I remember. I think it was you, John, who was telling me about the sword. And then I think you also, Danielle, were telling me about the sword. And y'all were telling me about the sword. And I kept hearing about it. And one day I went out and bought the uh, first trade. Very first book club. Uh, (laughs) And I read it. And I got home and I read the first trade. And I was just like, what? And I had to get up the other ones. Like it's so I went so online. good. I went online immediately, and yes. I was just like, okay, to order these three trades, it's going to cost <laughs> this much. But if I order the uh, special omnibus edition, it, it costs roughly the same, and I get this badass edition. So yeah. I bought the omnibus edition. <laughs> when it came in, I started again over from the beginning and just read it all in like a couple hours. Yeah, it's such a good story. It's really good. Yeah, it's good stuff. I really enjoy that one. What about you? Oh man. Okay, so. I wrote down a bunch of stuff now. I guess it really kind of depends. Like, if you want to go, like, with Marvel and DC, you know, I mean, there's X-Men, anything by um, Chris Claremont, his whole run, especially, like, Dark Phoenix and... Um, yeah, I, I've, I've read all that. We talked know. we we talked about all that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I mean, the and then, like, um, a more recent story, the Messiah Complex story was really good. Yeah. Uh, but then, like, Spider-Man, I, I really enjoyed Spider-Verse that just came out, but that was just, like, you read that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Superior was really good. Superior Spider-Man. Uh, Green Lantern, you know, I, I really enjoyed the Sinestro War and the stuff that led up to it and then all the stuff in the Blackest Night. I did, Oh, yeah, you were really into that. Yeah, I did kind of fall off after um, Brightest Day. Mm. But that's also around the time that the New 52 started, which, uh, I don't know, Some after reading it for five, a few years, I wanted to stop the point. Yeah. Um, as far as X-Men goes, for me, it would have to be the new X-Men. Oh, Grant Morrison oh, stuff? Oh, man. Yeah. Grant oh, Morrison. Really good. Anything by Grant Morrison, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As, and, and Quietly was on that. Oh, yeah. So good. And um, This stuff was really fucked. I love all that fucked up heavy metal shit. Yeah. Anything that's like that, I'm really into that. And I, as far as X-Men went, that was the most out there, Doctor Strangey, heavy metal art and storyline that i'd ever seen oh yeah it really blew my mind i think good shit i think that was coming out around the time that i was getting back into comics yeah yeah um but i just got the omnibus trade in like a couple months ago just the dialogue and the art Mm -hmm. it all comes together to make this really weird like Uh, it's really good that's also a good one and just like like splurge like just go i'm gonna just yeah. go take a couple hours and read yeah. like read a whole bunch of this I've at got one that time same edition it's nice oh yeah you have that big oh i know one. oh i know yeah. that's the one i keep like eyeing like every time i come over <laughs> here and i'm like i gotta get that i gotta get that i really enjoyed um jonathan hickman as a writer he mm. just uh his avengers new avengers run all the way up to marvel secret wars was a really good story but other than that he's writing this other book called um east of west yes and i just love that it's this whole like western post-apocalyptic apocalyptic alternative past leading to a history where it's like America is carved up into like these different nations there's mm. the but anyway I mean it's just a really good story and it's dealing with like the whole apocalypse and death and just right. like all this kind of stuff saga yeah mm. I have a love hate relationship with saga I'm completely caught up but you know sometimes I love that book sometimes I hate it but I keep buying it every month so I'm, I'm only just gonna buy the omnibuses because I don't want to go from issue to issue <laughs> right. I just yeah I have a couple of books that I fo- that I'm following right now 
that I just like to be able to read month to month. Saga is one of them. Right now I'm reading Spider-Man. I'm also reading... There's another big two book that I'm reading. Oh, Fantastic Four. The new Fantastic Four relaunch. I'm reading that. Rock Stars. I, I really like that one. Oh, yeah. It's kind of... It hasn't been coming out lately, though. Right. But I really like that uh, image series. Rumble, I'm a big fan of. And... I really love Madman. That's probably after Hellboy. Oh, I was yeah. really into Madman, and I have the Madman Gargantua. I've read all the Madman stuff. I really like anything Mike Alred does. The new Silver Surfer stuff that he did. There's an omnibus coming out for that soon that I'm going to want to so check out. So good. Yeah. So good. I really love Alred and all his stuff. And then I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, right now, I'm really excited for Blackbird and Murder Falcon. Those are two new books that are uh, really exciting. I'm probably going to check those out for a little bit. Also, I... I would recommend, like, away from American comics, uh, Japanese manga, Akira is really good. Yeah. How old is that book now? Oh, man. I think it started in, like, the late 70s, early 80s. Wow. Wow. Uh, but it's, like, six volumes. I actually only have one, two, three, and six because I can't find four and five. <laughs> um, and then um, Ghost in the Shell. I just love Ghost in the Shell. That's just like a really cool sci-fi, uh, not sci-fi, uh, cyberpunk storyline. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's just like really funny. Um, and it's different than the uh, uh animes themselves. I got a little more humor. In what them. is the difference between cyberpunk and sci-fi? Would you say? Uh, marketing. Okay. <laughs> 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 yes. Good answer. That was a great answer. We also got another. Hey, you damn guys. Paul from Gartoken here. I would like to make a request of you, wonderful people. Would you consider an Xmas special? I think the community would enjoy a listen-while-you-watch type commentary from you for the existing Hellboy films. <laughs> Love you guys, Paul. It's something we've actually talked about a little bit. Well, I, all I do is talk through movies, yeah, so, I'm, so <laughs> you know, I'm cut out for that. A lot of times we'll be watching a movie and Danielle would just say, "We should. this should be a podcast right here. This should be it. I we have never do... used the word podcast. Well, I said we could do commentary. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But all the commentary is going to be completely irrelevant <laughs> and... It's just going to be me rambling about oh, actors. I, I could go on about it, too. Yeah. yeah. I've actually kind of thought about that. Though. I think it would be kind of fun, though. There's yeah, never it, been a movie I haven't talked through. It's, it's, it, I, I think for us, it's more about time. If we have time to get together over yeah. the holidays, maybe we can put something out like that. I don't want to make any promises, though. But definitely down the line, we will probably eventually do Anyone something like that. Anyone who wants to listen to yeah. my stupid, stupid fucking nonsense comments is welcome to it. Although after the last time, when I was watching Hellboy 2 the other day, I was just like, damn it, no, wait, what? <laughs> right, yeah, it'll be interesting to um, do some commentary after we've, after you've kind of read all the stuff now, and you know, like, what Del Toro's kind of stealing from here and there, or, you know what I mean, what he's being inspired by. You mean by. his inspirations, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was also thinking about some, like, interesting changes he made. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nathaniel Green and I were talking about the reading order list. I like this so much, I want to compile a reading list. I want to be more of a part of the process, so I'm going to re-listen to every episode and submit a reading list to you. So he was saying he was going to do this for us, but I had already kind of mostly done it. I just had to go back and put in the remaining episodes. And so I was like, no, you don't need to do that. It's already done. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to fix it, but I appreciate it. And he said... I know what you're trying to do, but you can't stop me from re-listening. <laughs> Again, I want to thank Mark Tweedell for helping us out with that reading order. I'm just going to thank him all the time. He's great. He said he did it because he was sick in bed for a week. Um, but it's still a tremendous amount yeah. of work, and it's not what I would do if yeah. I was sick in bed. I would just be throwing myself around the house. 
we had some talk with Ross Radke about the reading order, and Ross was wondering if we were going to break up the stories with some weird tales or Hellboy Jr., something to lighten it up every once yeah. in a while. And I think we will do that, but I want to wait until av- I want to wait until after the movie comes out. Okay. I'm trying to get to. I don't want us to rush into the stuff that's being ins- that the movie's being inspired by, but I also would like to get to it before the movie comes out because I almost feel like I want your first exposure to these ideas, whatever they're going to be, however they're going to be adapted from the comic first, and then the movie later. Does that whatever, make sense? That's fine. Yeah. I don't so care. no, I don't that, care that makes about perfect any sense. Of that. So that's what I'm trying to do here. So we're gonna like if we stay on schedule, I think we could still do it. So, but after the movie comes out, yeah, we might take some breaks and do like a Hellboy Junior episode where it's just like All funny right. little cartoons. Sure. Speaking of that, uh, Mark Tweedell also said, you know, I've never taken the plunge into the Hellboy novels. I need to at least read the canon ones, The Lost Army, Bones of Giants, Dragon Pool, and some of the short stories. And I've never read any of the Hellboy books. I didn't realize that they were canon. So now that makes me like want to read all those. Hopefully they'll come out with like a hardback edition. We had a really good Twitter conversation about, oh, they should do a hardback of this and that. And it was really nice to be able to talk to everybody online. We also talked about the BPRD possibly being adapted to a TV show and how cool that would be. Ryan Bolton, one of our listeners, actually wrote an article about that about five years ago. Oh, wow. And it's so funny because he talks about all the same things that we were talking about. Here's a couple sentences from the article. It says, It could begin with Monster of the Week scenarios, which shows like the X-Files and Fringe were able to do with great success, all the while laying down groundwork for season-length villains and story arcs. The show would have over 10 years' worth of stories in the comics from which to draw deeply. The Rage Cage on Twitter said... Just got to episode eight, and you were puzzled over the great British word balmy. Ha ha. So are you going to do BPRD and the Hell on Earth graphic novels as well? And we will do those. It's just, that's way, I'm not even thinking about that stuff right now. Wait, you couldn't say balmy? Remember we were laughing about balmy? One of the guys in Into the Silent Sea says balmy as like a exclamation, and we were like kind of laughing about that. Oh, yeah. That's what he's referring to. Oh, okay. (laughs) I like how you don't even remember what we talked about. I don't even remember that, but what's fine. Mark Tweedell said, by the way, the story Oming referred to is Hellboy in the BPRD 1956. This is going to be the new story that Omi's writing. It's something really unusual, a five-issue miniseries with three artists. I've been excited for this arc since Hellboy in the BPRD began. So yeah, that's really exciting. I'm excited to read that. Awesome. Gone Snake on Reddit said... Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends, Hellboy Book Club. Is there any more fun and succinct theme song? (laughs) (laughs) I wish it hadn't been recorded on like an iPhone. I know. We really need to go back and do a better version of that. We just haven't had time to. Yeah. So it'll be kind of like the Transformers theme song back in the day and how it changed every season. <laughs> yeah, it got like a little bit more produced, right? Yeah. Some feedback on the dead. I posted our teaser image with the tag, pull out your back issues, trade paperbacks, omnibus. I put all that stuff. And then at Goat Llama put, or go to your local library and check out every graphic novel with the Mignola spine label they have. And yeah, we need to start adding that. A lot of people have mentioned that, that a lot of this stuff can be accessed through your local library. And libraries even have like some digital services, apparently, where you might be able to get that on your phone or on your iPad or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that. But yeah, libraries for sure. Tom Hardman said, some more great mushroom info from Danielle, really turning my college into our college. Not sure if that 100% works. (laughs) It's early here. Yeah, uh, mushrooms are awesome and good. 
Jerry Turnbull said, The Dead is such an amazing story. So much happens. New headquarters, the introduction of Ben Daimyo, who is such a brilliant and for Roger, a very influential character. One of the funniest scenes and one of the saddest scenes in the Hellboy verse happens in this one. Hints of what's to come in Johan's file, all topped off by the best color art in the comics by the mighty Dave Stewart. Every environment is uniquely colored and the mood he evokes is very moving and helps tell the story. Jerry Turnbull also said, the, der- the Del Toro Hellboy smokes cigars. The real Hellboy smokes cigarettes. So I had said that, I made a comment last week that Hellboy smokes cigars, but yeah, it's mostly in the movies that he does that. Jan Nikla said, yay, The Dead, one of my favorites of the miniseries, where the BPRD became its own. The best addition of the team was Daimyo. You can really see how he struggles between, I don't want to be one of them freaks, and crap, I am one of them freaks. I also love how he jumps between the group daddy and being a big jerk. It gives the group potential for conflict and shows again how important HB was as a mediator and boss of the team. Damio meeting HB would have been interesting. Also, the first sign that Johan has a few screws loose. As for the German scientist speaking as a German myself, it's hard to ask when you consider them Nazis. If you say Nazis died when the Third Reich was destroyed, then you could say, yes, they aren't Nazis anymore. But I'm more cynical about it. They may have still been anti-Semitic or opportunistic eggheads who just worked for the people with the biggest budgets, like they did during the war. So technically, they were still Nazis, just used for ones for the American state. Felt some of them sorry about the Holocaust and all those atrocities the Nazis did? Maybe. Does it matter? Probably not for the American government, as long as they could build rockets. See, that's what I was thinking, honestly, because, like... America doesn't give a fuck. The American government doesn't give a shit. And they're awful in a lot of ways and have brutalized so many different people in so many different countries. Like, why would they have any qualms about working with Nazis? I don't think that that's outside the realm of reality. I don't know. For some reason, I just, I guess I never really put the connections together, but of course that makes perfect sense because like you said, yeah. yeah I mean, I mean it, you right. want to think like but, what you were taught when you were growing up, what you were like brainwashed to be like. And that, it wasn't also in Liberty like, and justice for all. Well, I mean, it's not just like, you know, what you learn in school. It's also like what you learn on TV. Every time they talk about the scientists during like that time, they're always like these noble scientist type mm, people. Right. You, you could even call it a trope. You yeah. Know? yeah. But then you're like, no, wait, these guys probably were anti-semitic and racist terrible um anyway yeah he goes on a little bit more should they the scientists have got killed off maybe but you would have had to kill all of germany to get rid of all nazis to be honest the thing is when i look at my grandparents and other old people they never stopped being racist and anti-semites they were just beaten and hungry and it turned out that capitalism is just damn profitable it's one of the biggest hubris of Germany after World War II. We talk about it a lot, but still people are baffled why the Nazis could take over. Because we learn the facts, but we don't think about them. And right now it seems to get even darker, and right-wing parties are becoming more popular. Sorry for the rant. Can't wait for the next episode. No, it's absolutely true. It's it's what's happening right now. Yeah, it, and there's it this really whole is. there's this whole thread of like, oh, so you're just gonna anyone you disagree with, they're you're gonna call them a Nazi? Like, no, I'm. If they're Nazis, yeah, I'll call them that. Right. Like, I don't understand why you think that they're not a Nazi if they're, like, literally doing everything that Nazis were doing that makes them a Nazi. Anyway, Looks I don't know. like a duck. Quacks like yeah, a duck. there right. you go. I really appreciated that, though, hearing from someone who is German is after German. we were talking about that. And, you know, I really appreciate that comment. So I thought it was it was good to have that perspective. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's and... not just us that thinks about it from the inside. You know, people yeah. are looking at this from the outside. 
who have grown up in a culture where you're hyper made hyper aware of that. And so it is, yeah, it's good to get an opinion from somebody who's actually living in Germany. I think about like, you know, like a lot of things that happen in history and how I learned it from America perspective. But then I think about how, how do they teach like the, uh, like American revolution in British schools and, uh, how do they teach World War II in Germany and things yeah. like that. So I'm always wondering about the different perspectives they of history. They barely teach it to us. So yeah, that's true. But <laughs> I, I kind of like go in and, a little bit further yeah. myself. Yeah. It just makes me wonder about like what people are taught, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, there are even way people are taught different things in just different states. Yeah, that's <laughs> absolutely right. Taylor Dodderman said another great episode. Here are my thoughts. First off, Danielle, I totally agree with you about how women are drawn in the Mignolaverse compared to other comics. One of my favorite things about this universe is, is that instead of wasting time with flashy and pointless over sexualization. Mignola and all the other writers and artists bring a very down-to-earth human earth feel to all the characters and focus on telling interesting stories through fantastic art instead of making some perverted teen's wish by showing off ridiculous body sizes and the like. It's always refreshing to know that even though these are rather mature stories, they aren't blatantly pandering to certain demographics. Well, yeah, I mean, they're not just making... Uh just issues full of pinups right who that it doesn't make sense when you're looking at their body language like why would they be saying that what are they not everyone's just like posing and all this stuff you know what <laughs> i mean so i i do absolutely agree with you 100 that it's they're focused on good storytelling and that's really what i get the most from the art in these books you guys had some really good coverage on abe his story in the dead is one of my favorite absolutes in the whole Mignolaverse. One thing I didn't hear you guys touch on, if you did and I missed it, I'm sorry, a theory I've had about part of the story, some ghosts in fiction are portrayed as being stuck in the part of their lives leading up to their death. I think this is the case for Call's wife. When she keeps pleading for Abe to not leave her, I think that we are seeing the exact thing she said to try and keep Call from going on his last adventure with the Cavendish. Wow, and once she realized he was leaving, those last days or weeks or months or however long leading up to her suicide all felt so empty that her spirit was the only way to remember the last time she was with her love. Almost like how we can sort of erase memories from various traumatic moments in our own lives. Yeah, so I thought sure. this was great. She's like reliving that moment Absolutely. She, you know, over and over. Okay, so I saw that comment the other night when I was like two in the morning and I was really kind of hammered. Uh, <laughs> and I started writing something down about uh, spirits trapped in endless cycles. Then I scratched something out. I'm not really sure what it said. Uh, but yeah, I loved that comment because it made me think of like other uh, stories. Like I don't want to go on about like uh, Supernatural, but they kind of do something like that with their spirits in the first few seasons. Okay. Right. I just love that comment. I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely, yeah, that's yeah. good insight. A note on Captain Daimyo, don't write him off as a total jerk like Manning quite yet. He gets some really great stories and actually became one of my favorite characters, even if he starts off a bit gruff. I love the guy. Yeah. As Manning said in the story, we'll get to him later. He's a fun character. He adds a really weird dynamic to the group now. Yeah, I, uh, well, I'll get more to that when we sure, get back to the... Sure, we're about to talk about yeah. that right now, yeah. As to why Johan keeps trying to use his powers and seem in control when we see he actually isn't, I think there are two factions at play here. First, he just came to his state of being right before the BPRD series started and hasn't had long as Abe or List or even Roger to try and practice with it. Secondly... He seemed to pick up on a couple things in his first few appearances that I think make him feel like he has to prove himself. Mm. He was essentially hired as Hellboy's replacement. He knows the BPRD isn't below trying to kill off their agents because Roger told him about the bomb and all that. 
and he sees that most leadership decisions are being made by Manning. Based on all that, I'd probably try and push myself more than I felt comfortable with if I'd finally found a place where I started to feel at home. Or you can chalk it up to the crazy mushroom Nazi. I'll leave that up to you guys. I thought that that was a really good comment, too, because that Nazi guy was in there, and he was doing shit. So that he might have been, and he knew about all the BPRD agents too. And we didn't talk about that. He might have been kind of messing with Johan too from in sure. that sub basement. Yeah. Mignolaverse said, I think with this series, with the end of the last one, it's a really great start of the Abe Sapien storyline, which is my favorite overall thing in the whole Mignolaverse. The image of Abe sitting alone in his own haunted house is so upsetting and real that I'll never forget it. Give me the BPRD library editions already. Um, so that was from Mignolaverse. Nathaniel Green said, I listened to it already, and now I miss you guys. I'm really glad to hear a woman's perspective on feminist issues in these and other comics. Please keep them coming. We had a good conversation on Twitter. Mark Tweedell said, on the topic of Liz's attitude in the dead, this is an interesting period of time for her. She's got control of her powers now, and she uses them like a sledgehammer. This bleeds into her attitude to everything. Why bother learning about the frogs when you can burn them all? Liz's evolution over the series is really well handled. You can see this particular aspect of her personality emerging in the Plague of Frog miniseries with the burning of Saduhem. Brute force works so well there. That's always the first thing that she's going to try. I posted about Abe remembering the Cavendish expedition that Call went on, and Jessica AM at My2K said on Twitter, I did a book report on this in grade 11 in front of my entire class. I got an A for it. Yeah, I thought that was so awesome to do a book report on a That's super good. on a graphic novel. Yeah. I wish I could have done that. I know. I posted the no mask comparison on those little snow monkey guys and Kevin Alford said, "I've lived here for my whole 30s so far and I still have no idea on the difference between Kabuki, No, Kagura and the others, even though I've seen some of them live. Also very confusing to watch." And when I was looking up those masks, I think a lot of those masks like can be used for i don't know i don't I, know well what? I, I learned a little bit about kabuki and no in high school and unfortunately have since forgotten absolutely everything i learned about it so i guess i won't be very helpful <laughs> to you sorry <laughs> so han surag said isn't the monkey called a macaque and it is it is there are different types of macaque monkeys and the snow monkey is a japanese macaque so i looked that up jim laurie on instagram also said michael palin in brazil 1985 and he showed a screenshot from brazil and there's a character that looks very similar Mm. to those it has like a baby mask face on it yeah comic explorer on instagram said the monkey is actually a henchman for a villain that fights a certain vigilante that operated in the 30s in the mignolaverse so yeah, maybe we'll see those those monkeys show up mm, somewhere okay. else. I posted the picture of the six-winged seraphim that Ice turns into in the dead, and Ryan Bolton said, I think that's supposed to be a fallen seraphim. Because I was like, this looks really different from what's traditionally depicted. And then so I googled fallen seraphim, and yeah, Ryan's totally right. Like, there are some fucked up things when you look up fallen seraphim. It's like very huh. metal monsters cool. and giant, you know... See, I had I had always thought that that was just what the guy had mistaken for to be angels, and he didn't really get a good look at them. And they yeah. were just, it turns out they were just mon- interdimensional monsters or whatever. But I'll have to, yeah, I'll Google that. It could be a fallen seraphim. Yeah, cool. yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. That actually adds another little different twist to that story. If you sure. Yeah. Like that. I posted the image of the Spear of Destiny, 
And Nathaniel Green said, it's such an odd-looking thing, isn't it? It does look kind of weird, right? It does. <laughs> and some interesting little trivia. Well, we had another comment. Um, at Tangabula said, holy shades of Keanu Reeves, because the steer <laughs> of Destiny and Constantine. Yeah. And then I was actually a little bit of trivia. There's a scene in the first Hellboy movie where you see the Spear of Destiny in like with all their artifacts. Yeah. Myers looks at it, and it's the same one from Constantine. Is it really? That's the, little, the same yeah, prop? It's oh, the same prop, yeah. That's cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, last week you were talking about that... Uh, the death metal playlist. Oh yeah, Alex Aronowitz shared that death metal playlist for start for uh, Plague of Frog storyline. I uh, listened to that playlist the other day because uh, I made it on the Spotify, and then I just added a few because like um, my drive to work is longer than thirteen minutes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, if you don't mind, I'll share. Yes, yes, please. Okay, so uh, if you'll remember, it was um, the original was uh, Plague Rages, Napalm Death, Blinded by Fear, At the Gates, Clayman, In Flames, and Arise Sepultura. And so I just added um, the color of the psychic power from Today is the Day, Neptune, Sift Through the Ashes, you can find them on Spotify, Insight, Heaven Shall Burn, Bleed, Meshuga, uh, Rehumanize, and I by Neurosis, and Fires of Purification by Tribes of Narat. Nice. Can people see that playlist on Spotify? Or I think so. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll, s- I'll send it to you. I'll send you the link. Yeah, send me the link and I'll see if I can share that somehow. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you. All right, we're going to talk about War on Frogs, Chapter 1, or The Black Flame, Issue 1. This issue was published in September of 2005, story by Mignola and Arcudi, art by Guy Davis, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. Really quick on the cover, somebody had asked, who was your favorite frog monsters, Mignola or Guy Davis? And I was telling you guys, there's a cover that really sways me towards Mignola. This is it right here. The cover. I just really love these frog monsters. Oh, yeah. That's a great cover, too. (laughs) We open in what looks like a subway, and the frogs have built their gore temple, and they carve their symbols into the wall with metal debris. What did you think about this? This opening page is super creepy. Yeah. It's super awesome. The sound effects, the little critch as they're oh, like carving awesome. all that stuff in there. Oh, yeah. And they're suddenly blown away by the BPRD, and so they get an awesome action shot as they kind of come in here. We see Daimyo leading a team with Roger, Liz, Johan, and many other agents, and they shoot at the frogs. I feel like that's kind of like you see in like an episode of a show where it's just like, you know, oh, what's going on? And then, bam, this yeah. is the new BPRD. Yeah. <laughs> Daimyo orders Roger, Navarro, and Swanson with him, and some frogs ambush him. But Roger quickly saves him, kicking a frog, pulling Daimyo away, and shooting. And this is really like the action figure Roger. He's really, you know, having a really good action beat. And I thought it was funny on the last episode you guys were saying, you know, Daimyo says... Next time someone asks you for your sidearm, you'll have one. And right you, now and, he's got a million guns. I know. You yeah. guys were like, I don't even know if Roger would know what to do with a with a gun. And here we see him. Uh, I guess I was, uh, he found out. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Daimyo lights up a cigar and waves the medic away, n- saying, no offense, Doc, but I have my own guy for stuff like this. Be careful what you wish for, Liz approaches. Huh? I don't get it, Daimyo responds. You were so eager to be back killing the frogs. Look what it got you referring to his injury. Daimyo says, I've been hurt a lot worse than this, Sherman. I think this phase one went well. Phase one, Navarro asks? Roger lights up a cigar. So I love this parallel. Did you notice it's the exact same (laughs) thing? Oh, yeah. No, I got Yeah, that was like... Roger, what the fuck? (laughs) I started laughing like out loud when I saw this. It was ridiculous. 
Phase one comes right before phase two. This old sewage plan is huge, and Daimyo literally finishes his sentence. No, 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 no. no. The delivery was phase one, Navarro, comes right before phase two. He's very yeah. fucking flippant. He's rude. <laughs> he's being rude for the first time. I've never seen him yeah. be rude to someone. And he's just trying to ape daimyo here he's really just i mean they look there's they're ne- right next to each other in the exact same pose yeah so funny <laughs> ridiculous and uh remember daimyo uh he was all like weary of roger in the first time when you first meeting him now yeah, he's all like buddy buddy that's a he? good point well that's the power of mimicking someone mm, is yeah it, you know you are i don't know there's something weird going on i've never really seen it this strong <laughs> they really took it in this direction in a really strong way and when as before it was very subtle right if at all like you couldn't really tell what was going on with roger and so here it's extremely apparent what's happened it's creepy to me it feels creepy yeah daimyo says that they're going to go through the different levels and navarro asks why don't they just carpet bomb the place and daimyo explains that this is a fact-finding mission the bprd is trying to learn what the frogs are up to and we see johan taking pictures of all the runes as they move to the next level Liz asks Johan what he thinks of Roger's change. Johan explains that Roger is a blank slate, especially since Hellboy left. The captain is a strong, confident leader and easy to mimic. Uh-huh, Liz agrees. That's what worries me now. So it says that he's made the strongest impression on him, and I guess that's what right. Hellboy would have been doing. Sure. So we get the leadership, except it's just a little unpolished. Right. It's kind of rough around the edges. Daimyo doesn't really care who he kind of goes through to do what he wants to do. He's just very... But he also seems to care about his guys a little bit. I don't get any of that, honestly. Uh, When I say, like, care, I don't mean, like, you know, he's, like, in a nurturing way. I mean, more of, like, you know, he doesn't want his guys to get, like, hurt. I feel like he doesn't give a shit. Well, we talk about that. He'll throw as many bodies in front of this as possible. We we, we get to a scene where we'll talk about He's still a soldier, but, I mean... It just seems like he's like, ah, sometimes you just lose people. It doesn't really matter. Like, it's very... Yeah, they do have a conversation like that in a little bit. We see Roger and Daimyo smoking side by side. And then there's a nice, this nice character beat is suddenly interrupted. I love how these moments are paced. Suddenly these frog monsters come out, burst out of the floor, and Daimyo narrowly saves Navarro. And he Very launches aliens. A, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, it is. You're there. right. I like that. And Daimyo launches a grenade down the frog hole, making a shortcut. Launches a grenade down the frog hole. Yeah. That's where all the frogs are. Like. <laughs> The story is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I really love this. They go down into this hole. They, they're they in like a sewage thing. And Navarro is, you know, Daimyo gets at Navarro for bitching about it. And there's a nice little horror moment where Liz sees this one frog. And then it kind of turns into a bunch of frogs. I really like that. Yeah. And then we just. Also, get, it's like the way the, uh, the bunch of frogs is drawn where you got like the full and the front. And then they start going to the shadow, and then it's just eyes in the very back yeah. of it. Yeah. And then we get a huge action beat where all the frogs are ambushing the team. Roger's cussing. Like, what's going on? Yeah. So many frogs come out. The team is overwhelmed, and Roger calls for them to fall back. Daimyo asks for a place to maneuver, but the frogs come at the team from both sides. So you think about this. They're like in a sewage tunnel, and there's frogs just on. They're totally surrounded. We see agents getting torn apart, and the frogs wrapping their tongues around the BPRD guys, and we see one of them get its head chomped. Daimyo says, to hell with maneuvering, just empty your clips now. And Roger's got like the two guns, one in each hand, like just firing off everything. That, I've never seen Rambo 
but I imagine something right, like that yeah. probably happened. Yeah. I feel like it's more of a commando thing. Schwarzenegger over Okay, Stallone. sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. We see Johan's got a gun back there, too. He's he's firing off. They all do. He's got a pistol. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And we get some really good gore and onomatopoeia here as all the frogs are splattered. Splort. I like that Schlup. one. Yeah. <laughs> Navarro asks why they keep coming. Even rats know how to run from a gun. Damio says people will run at guns if they think they've got a good enough reason. And the more I see of these frogs, the more I realize they're almost as smart and almost as stupid as we are. And I like this. Um, as they're talking, Daimyo gets a good action beat. If you see like a frog jumps on him and then he kicks it away and then he shoots it all while this thing is going on. I really like that. Yeah. And the frogs have finally stopped. Johan says that he's never seen the frogs fight so hard. Liz says they haven't even cleared the level yet. There might still be more. And Damio asks what the score is. And that's this is kind of what you were talking yeah. about. Because Liz is kind of like the score. You know, I've never heard of, you know, guys dying being referred to as the score. You know, and he just says it's an expression. And she's very rightfully pointing out that he's doing this to distance himself. Like it's, it's an she says it's an expression of your detachment. From your own command, which he's seen right. a lot of whatever action. He says, oh, it's not fun. People get hurt and people die and you got to get used to it. And it's just an expression and all this stuff. And so she's like, well, I think you're just trying to be detached. And he's like, well, my number two objective on all my missions <laughs> is to keep my men and women alive. And right. it's like, cool. Shouldn't that be your number one? No, but he's he's saying no. The to achieve the objective right. is number one. It doesn't matter yeah. who dies. Yeah. They knew they knew what they signed up for. All exactly. this shit. And Liz has always been like, uh, no, we should focus on saving lives. Right. Yeah. So that's the difference there. But it's interesting. Like, Hellboy wasn't cut out for that kind of thing. And I think, uh, what the fuck is the name of the guy that I hate? Manning always wanted the organization to be run this way. It wasn't being run that way. Oh, yeah. And so he was always making these decisions of like, yeah, put a bomb in a guy. It's cool. And that sort of shit. And Hellboy was like, I don't fucking like that. So he left. But then when he left, that void was filled by someone who was going to do what Manning wanted. Right, right. And so it's like, yeah, you don't want to stay because you can't fight it from the inside. But if you leave, the people that you are leaving behind, like Liz and everybody, are going to be stuck with someone way worse right. so it's like what was the right thing to do yeah so it's that's a, a good really point interesting, that's a good like, point what is his responsibility as far as this goes wasn't manning though um taking orders from people above him as well though because yes so uh because they were like you know they decided they voted to put the bomb in him and he agreed with it of course you know because right but it's one but, of those things uh, of like he's like the mouthpiece of the bureaucracy sure absolutely yeah. and it's like it keeps going up further high higher and higher up the chain yeah. and it's like what is your responsibility as far as your your personal, what you're in charge of, right. like how far can you push it? Are you willing to see how far you can go? Is he is he just be like, well, if they fire me, someone even worse is going to take my place. You don't want that, do you? So I have to kind of give a little to right. get a little bit. Like how far is too far? Well, and also like about uh, Daimyo versus Hellboy, I guess. Like um, Daimyo has got that more militaristic yeah, exactly. background, yeah, yeah. Where, and so he, you know, I mean, that is the, they are trained to put their. Uh, agenda first their objective right. first and but of course you know they do want to save their lives but they do realize that there's casualties but when hellboy he was he's more of an investigator I guess. Yeah. yeah and he's got a whole different mindset like he's not let's go be soldiers yeah. and kill and blah it's a really blah. different it, feel this book yeah, this yeah. book is a very 
Yeah. It Very act- different. I'm actually starting to like the character Daimiel better now. There's a great uh, character. The yeah. character is awesome. But um, it also makes me wonder, I mean, what would the interaction between Daimyo and Hellboy be? Because Absolutely, yeah. Because Daimyo's like like a take no shit kind of soldier yeah. sergeant kind of guy and Hellboy's like whatever, dude. He's right, the chillest right. possible yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And he's all but he but he's also like, I don't want to listen to your bullshit no, nonsense. He Just to piggyback off that comment, I also think like Daimyo was human first and he didn't have any kind of of these abilities and then something happened to yeah. him. Versus like Abe or I guess Abe was human first, but he didn't remember any of that. No, he didn't and then know that. Liz also and Hellboy was like that from birth. So I think that's kind of an, a different thing too, you know. Sure. Liz and Daimyo butthead, they argue for a little bit. I do like how Liz checks him on his bullshit. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean Liz is always gonna be the best. <laughs> yeah, and Daimyo, he doesn't have anything else to say. He finally says that he could never win with Liz. Roger calls Daimyo over. Excuse me, I hear somebody who actually respects my authority, he says to Liz. Roger has found a giant frog egg, and Daimyo tells Navarro to stay away from it. Johan takes out his flashlight, and we kind of reveal that it's this giant frog, pregnant frog bellies of these giant three frog monsters. What did you guys think of this grotesque thing? There's actually <laughs> four. If you look, there's a little head. Oh, there's another one, yeah. Uh, Gross. I could just imagine it, like if that was really in front of me, it'd be all like slimy and squishy and just the noise it would make as it kind of like... Yeah, all the things move yeah. around in there. And this guy's going to go and touch it. I know, you <laughs> like you kind of know ass. it's going to... This guy, Navarro, you know that he's going to do it and it, just, uh, I can imagine all that. It's just so it's, disgusting. It's like that. It's just like that guy in Prometheus who walked up to that slime and goes, ooh, let me stick my finger in right, it. Right, yeah, exactly. It's like, why do people do stupid stuff it's like so that? Dumb. Really? And so there are these frog monster tadpoles in there, and just like millions of them. Daimyo says they're going to need to send in another platoon. But Liz says, no more agents. I found all the facts I need. And she starts saying her mantra. Sherman, stop, Daimyo says. We still have another level. Liz's eyes turn red. All right, people, clear and disappear. One on the double, he tells them. So I like that, where he's just kind of like, all right, you know, yeah. he's like, this, this is happening. Yeah. There's nothing I can do about this. Super good. And I do like how Liz just comes in there. It's like, I guess, that uh, one comment you were talking about earlier where Liz just fucking It's goes dumb. In. All of this is dumb. There's no leadership being displayed. Right. You've got two people fighting. And you know what? That really fucking sacrifices the integrity of this mission because then what fucking happens? Right. Some so, fucking bullshit. Yeah. So it's like she's not helping either. She doesn't like the way he's running it. And she's making it worse. I just think that it's like this is just calamity. Right. This is just a fucking chaos but here. If they had sent another another team, maybe they could have contained all those tadpoles. Well, I don't or... even I don't even know what would have happened. All I know is like someone needs to be the leader and right. someone like, you know, it's just very or work together at least like but they can't work together. They're too busy fighting. It's just such a weird... I, it's putting everyone in danger. Yeah, and I really like that you bring this up too because that's one of the things that I really like about this series is like the people get hurt yeah. and they do the wrong things sometimes. They're not like the perfect superhero. No, it's not the plucky, happy ending at the yeah, end of the issue it's, kind of thing. It's not like... like They make mistakes and you see their human shortcomings in, in the series as you kind of learn the characters. Yeah. It's like... Actions have consequences. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. and I understand everyone's motivations for wanting to do what they want to do, but it's like at the end of the day, if you don't come together as a team, 
you're going to get picked apart. And Liz torches the place. I love all the sound effects as all the little things are popping. But yeah, like Danielle said, some of them fall down this drain hole. We see gloved hands pick them up, put them in this cooler that's labeled Zinko. Oh, man. So recall Roderick Zinko received a vision from Rasputin and funded Project Ragnarok in Wake the Devil. He was later blinded by Rasputin for bringing along the head of Nazi villain Hermann von Klempt, and while blinded, he accidentally blew up the Project Ragnarok stronghold. Anyway, a person in a hazmat suit, he takes that Zinko cooler full of the frog tadpoles and walks away. Zinko's really shaping up to be kind of like a Spectra from James Bond stuff. Oh, yeah. You know that, or Cobra from uh, G.I. Joe. Right. (laughs) Chapter 2, or War on Frogs, Issue 1. This issue came out of June of 2008, story by John Arcudi, pencils by Herb Trimpe, inks by Guy Davis, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. I was listening to an interview with John Arcudi recently, and he talked about that he made a slight comment that he wrote this issue just so he could work with Herb Trimpe, who did the, he did a lot of the famous Incredible Hulk stuff back in the day, and he was the first person to draw Wolverine. Oh, that's awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah, we open on the BPRD headquarters in Colorado in June of 2005. We see Abe and Kate have returned from Rhode Island. Kate tells Abe she found the file they were talking about last week. Which file is that, Abe asks. Abe, come on, you know which file. Need a refresher? And we see the name on the file is Cavendish Hall. No, I remember, Abe says. And we get some great Trimpe Davis art here. So Davis is doing the ink, so I you can kind of still feel his style in there. I love the uh, It's great. The art is great. But what I never, ever love is recaps. Yeah. <laughs> I th- I'm so annoyed by them. I think it's really awkward, and it's just not – it doesn't fit in the story. Well, I mean, you have to think about this, too. We've been reading all of this in a matter yeah, of weeks. all at the same time. But this time, is like yeah. years' worth of stuff, and people are picking up BPRD. It's separate. Really, I get yeah, it. No, so, I totally yeah. get it. I know it's necessary. I know that Those it needs to be there. Those are the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. I understand that completely. I'm not, you know – trying to say it doesn't need to be there. I know it needs to be there. I just hate it. That's <laughs> well, all. It's always clumsy. They should just say, hey, remember those two frogs from Cavendish Hall? We need to go look at that. It's always clumsy. It's never, ever graceful. It's never, it's like, oh, well, we'll just use her as a vehicle for this. She knows about it too. Why would you tell her? Right. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's just nitpicking, really. I think the art is cool. Hey, he gets a chance to draw these cool scenes. Yeah. So that's got to be fun. That's the important piece. (laughs) That's fun. I'm sure I would have, I was like, oh, I get to draw Rasputin, even though he's not in the story. Sure. That's great. But, you know. I don't know. I actually like recaps to the point where, like, uh, at home, like, we're watching TV at home, and, like, a recap will come on for the episode we just watched. I Kathy's skip like, every recap. Kathy's like, you, seriously, you're going to watch that? We just saw it. <laughs> I would rather not know what's going on and just use the context. But Let's, anyway, this is just my personal nitpick. Yeah, yeah. And oh, it's yeah. not even just this story. This is, I'm picking on this because we're reading it right now, yeah. but, like, anything, anything I'm reading. Oh, uh, well, there's going to be a lot oh, of I recaps know. as we go. Oh, I know. <laughs> It's Listeners, fine. let us know. What do you think of recap? It's fine. It's fine. It's a nitpick. Anyway, it all amounts to remember those two frog monsters from Seed of Destruction. They're still down there. Kate thinks it would be a good idea to follow up on these frogs. At the time, it didn't seem significant, but now. And that just is everything with Hellboy and the BPRD. It didn't seem <laughs> significant at the time, but now, dot, dot, dot. Uh, so good. Kate thinks that because Abe is so familiar with the area, but before she can finish her suggestion, Abe says, stop trying to get him back into the field. The Plague of Frog missions was where Abe died. 
So I think after that, that was his last. Can I just, what is this shirt he's wearing? We're going to talk about I that know. shirt. It's the same shirt. Yeah. But this is- <laughs> I was okay, so I was reading this and I thought when I got to this page I was like, What is this fucking shirt? And then later in the story, someone else was like, Hey, what's with the fucking shirt? And I was like, Thank you. <laughs> yes, it's in a different story, but up. he's wearing the same shirt. We'll but talk I swear, about it. That's the first thing that came to mind when I saw this page. I was like, Why is he why is he wearing a fucking V neck? It's like a sweater. I don't know. The V neck sweater. It's a very oh. Niles Crane. I, I, yeah. I will admit, like, it took me, like, a, halfway through the story to realize that those were his fins and not collars on the sweater. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> My brain's all like, oh, man, Abe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Kate wonders who will lead them then. And then we cut to Roger. He's leading a special task force. And this goes along with his new role that we saw in the last chapter. The agents scan the area and report. Sir, sonar shows several caverns about 200 feet down in the lake. No movement, though. Then that's where we're headed, Roger responds, and cut the sir stuff. Just call me Roger. The agent tells Roger that the frogs may have gotten bigger since they've been down there for 11 years. Roger responds, big, small, they can still die. See you down there. And he dives into the water. And Roger kind of talks about, he thinks about his powers a little bit, right? Isn't that... uh? Is that what this dialogue is? He I says, like, yeah. I can, he can smell where people are. We've kind of talked about Roger's powers yeah. a little bit. They're kind of ambiguous, but he seems to, like, be able to feel auras and be able to sure. take life energy or whatever. It It's almost like, uh, kind of like thought bubbles from I comics don't, back and in I the was day. just about to say that exact same thing. Yeah. I don't know if I like the voiceover. It reminds me too much of the thought balloons, the thought bubbles. Just, yeah. yeah. From back in the day. That's exactly what I have right. here, written here. It's just a little awkward. Right. I don't really get it. It sure. seems out of place. I don't know. It does seem a little out of place. You know, it's weird. Is like when I was reading those comics back in the day when I was a kid and the thought bubbles, it never crossed my mind until they just disappeared. And then I went back to try to read it. I'm like, why are you telling me all your damn thoughts here, Cyclops? <laughs> this is really exact. That's exactly what I was thinking of. In these old X-Men books, it's just whole pages full of- Right. There's so much dialogue. So paragraphs and paragraphs of yeah. thought bubbles. And it's like this- is the same thing, except they turned it into squares. Thought squares. Yeah. Thought squares. It's, it's supposed to be like narration, I guess, but it's really just annoying. Yeah. It's uh, clumsy. The last time I read Dark Phoenix, I just skipped all the thought bubbles. Right. Yeah. It flowed a lot better. <laughs> He's, and, but that's the thing is like the art tells the story of him going into this cave. Like, why do we need. I think they're trying to say like how he found it so easily, I guess. Sure. He goes right towards it. Yeah, I guess it's just like. Thanks for telling me yeah. that. I don't know. This probably also ties back into the recap because if you're just like first picking this up, you might not know this. I'm so nitpicky too. Right. And yeah. it's not, I'm not trying to bash the writing or anything like that. I, I understand the need for stuff like right. this. And of course, you know, people are just jumping in. They need to know what's going on with this guy and all this stuff. I just, it's a personal oh, yeah. nitpick. I'm such a curmudgeon. <laughs> it's okay. No, I mean. I completely agree with you on thought bubbles. I'm just a huge curmudgeon. Just don't mind me. (laughs) This didn't bother me that much. (laughs) Roger comes into the flooded chamber and he lights a torch and he finds a little room maybe put together by the frogs. It looks like a mock living room surrounded by the corpse of Mrs. Cavendish. He sees a picture and thinks to himself that the frogs are trying to remember what it was like being human. And we get more of the internal monologue here. As Roger inspects Mrs. Cavendish, a frog monster ambushes him from behind and stands off with Roger, not really letting him get close to Miss Cavendish or the gun. 
And they have like different shaped heads, I notice. Like, I wonder if that's a sign of their age or something like that. Why oh, their yeah, I don't know. heads or, are kind of. I don't of... know if it's like an artistic thing, liberty that he took with the character design, or if that's right. supposed to show like on purpose, like how they've evolved or. I don't know. Right, because they usually don't live very long. Right. You know, but these have been down there for 11 years. So if they years. live long enough, they look like that, maybe? I don't know. It's interesting. Huh. It, it might just be they're trying to say it is evolving because you go back and these. Um... They they look kind of like smooth, but then again, he could have just been copying what Mignola was doing. But right. I kind of like to think that it is kind of an no, evolution. I think, yeah, I think you're probably right that he's that he's lived so long, he ends up looking like that. And that's interesting. I just can't stop thinking about Dune when the internal monologues was like actually a thing in the movie. Oh yeah, Dune, I will, Dune uh, by like, David Lynch. Because <laughs> I was thinking, because I was thinking to myself, what if they actually did this in a movie or a show? It would be really weird. And I was like, no, Dune did that. Yeah, but that wasn't David Lynch's. He didn't do that. He wasn't doing that. No, it's his him. Yeah, he, that was his decision to do the voiceover weird stuff. Oh yeah, really? I think so. I think it's because like I think he was because the story itself is kind of everybody calls it really complicated. But I've read the book like several times, yeah. and I didn't ever thought it was complicated. But they, but you're right. I mean, in just the way they do. Their... I heard I had heard something that like oh David Lynch wasn't they kind of decisions over him and weren't weren't letting him do what he wanted to do or some shit. I, he didn't have final cut. Oh, he didn't have final cut. Okay, and anyway. then um. They really said it's like longer version that he yeah. had his name taken it's off. Irre- of. It's irrelevant. It's um, oh, he has, <laughs> he has name taken off of it. Wow. Off the uh, extended cut. Okay. Well, it's irrelevant anyway. That's just what it made me think of was Dune. I did. Read, I guess I, I listened to his audiobook, uh, his biography on audiobook that he read it, and Room he, to Dream. He talked about yeah. Dune and how he's just like, I made that movie, and then he's just like, now we'll talk about something else. Now we're gonna wow. talk about a different <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Aw. Okay, anyway, before we get off of this this thread that has nothing to do with Hellboy <laughs> or BPRD, um, The Art Life. Have you seen that? Uh, No. So I, good. I, I think I started to, but... Um, Everybody go watch The Art Life. I, I have the Blu-ray if you want to awesome. borrow it. I'd be happy to lend it to you. Anyway, back to BPRD. <laughs> Sorry. That's why God invented hand grenades, Roger thinks, and he tries to reach for one, but the frog jumps on him. And it beats him and it wraps its tongue around him. Remember Hellboy talking about how the tongue makes you feel numb. Yeah. Right. So... In the struggle, Roger drops a grenade into the water, and it causes an explosion, throwing the frog monster and him back. And we see that Roger has those like little frog holes. Whenever we see dead it's people, interesting that it yeah. would affect Roger that like that because he's not. So we know now that the the tongues, the frog tongues, it's something extra, something like supernatural, mystical. Maybe it's not just physical symptoms because they're affecting. Because the hellboy was like, "Oh, it doesn't affect this hand." You're right. So it's yeah. got to be mystical because if it affects Roger, he's made out of whatever mud or something. Yeah, some yeah. bullshit. And so like, it's affecting him though. That's interesting. Yeah, it's not just you know flesh that it affects. It's affecting whatever, but it doesn't affect the right hand of Doom. So it's some sort of weird magic yeah, going on there. I wonder. Or something. I wonder anyway. what that is. Maybe, I mean, Roger's not made out of stone. So maybe that's where the line is between the stone. Like I maybe. S- the, I think there's something magic going on. If he's on. made out of mud, maybe it could still push into the mud. I don't know. I think it's a mystical thing. Let maybe us, it's l- both. L- uh, yeah, listeners, let us know what you think. Quick question, though, about these frog monsters. Because these are the like original ones made by the by Sadohim, like before died and came back right yeah um i could be wrong but have we seen the other frog monsters exhibit this kind of um numbness with their tongue or are we just not because I, I know we see the marks on the other people yeah because when he first uh, fights the frog monster he's like all fucking yeah i think that we, we've seen a bunch of dead bodies with it so i think if you're just like human it could kill you yeah uh yeah because okay. we because uh like in the dead 
at the opening scene where they go into that barn and they find that little alien thing yeah. or whatever, there was a woman's dead body and it had all those frog holes all over it. Oh, yeah, and we'll see it like throughout the story here. I was just wondering, um, does it, I mean, do these next generation ones have the same strength as the original right. OG ones is what I was wondering. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, as we'll see later on, they they are developing new weird powers. Yeah. Right. We'll oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good point. But like you were saying earlier, they I guess the one the version I'm reading it's page 192. It's a big omnibus. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks markedly different. His fa- his face. He's got these two almost horns. Yeah, or like plates. Right. Yeah, that's and what so I was. Yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if that's a sign of them. And even on his back, it looks like they it's, have those it does plates look or whatever. Very different. Yeah. Like on, it's, it looks like it's on purpose for sure. Roger goes for the gun, but the other frog approaches. Roger punches the monster. The tongue tries to grab him, but he kicks the jaw of the frog monster, causing it to bite off its own tongue. I like Gosh. that action beat right there. <laughs> I thought that was like a nice touch. Horrible. And Roger momentarily gets the upper hand, but the other frog monster that got blown to the side now approaches. It swings the gun at Roger, and we get some really good action beats. A lot of this is just action. Roger catches the gun on one of the swings and is able to get a shot off. The shot blows up the corpse of Miss Cavendish, and the frogs are distracted and greatly affected by this as her head comes tumbling towards them. One of the frogs holds its head and lets out a distressed sound, and the other one wails. Roger seems saddened. Yeah, so I thought this was kind of an interesting thing, right? So they're still kind of preserving their mom's body or whatever, right, still. Um, They quickly turn their anger on Roger, and he blows them away regretfully. He says, damn it, right before he has to do it. And then he looks down. I was wondering, what is this question mark right here where he looks down? I was trying to figure out what that beat is. I also want to point out, like, the just, I don't know, it's almost like cartoony in the way that the gunfire is and it's like almost like even like uh when the mom gets hit the co- corpse of the mom gets hit it's like it explodes and it's just like are you, are you using tracer rounds or some no, right. this, gun? <laughs> this is very clearly some sort of a yeah it's it's like a rocket mm. oh yeah you're right whatever what was released is like a maybe like a grenade or a rocket but i just want to point out it's just it just seems kind of Especially because that gun is not like that huge, right? Yeah. yeah, no, it is. It is cartoony. The well, the, the style, yeah. yeah. It is definitely, but it also could be shooting those. What's I saying? Like an insane. altered version of those fucking the things that Hellboy had, the fucking grenades. Ah, yeah, the I Vulcan. Know, yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. The little Vulcan grenades kind of looked like that too. You know, they, maybe they adapted it to be shot. At yeah, a, at, uh, at an automatic rate. Um, yeah. No, don't get me wrong. I love it. I just. You know, it just kind of made me think it is, about no, it. It is yeah. definitely yeah. A, a kind of an, a more animated style for sure. Roger sits mournfully at the water's edge. The agents come up from the water and they said they heard a gun. Why didn't he call? And they find the remains of the frogs. All that's left of the two big frogs. Don't ask me why, Roger says. They sure did a number on you, but I guess they won't bother anyone else, the agent says. And who exactly were they bothering in the first place, Roger asks. Let's just go. When the agent says he'll radio for cleanup, Roger says, no, no cleanup. We're just going, understand? Yeah, yeah, I get it, the agent says, looking at the picture of Lady Cavendish with the two boys in better times. That was the question mark beat when he was looking down. I was about to say the same thing. Oh, they're all human skulls. Oh, right. That's what it is. He was like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. And that's why he was like, no, we're leaving them here. Yeah, and as they go into the water, we see that Roger arranged all the little heads together. And yeah, they're human, they're human skulls. So yeah, Plus, thank you for clearing that up. 
Oh, and plus they they've been down there for what eleven years, something yeah. like that. Uh, and they didn't bother anybody, so they were just there. Right. Yeah. They were just yeah. doing their own little. They were in their sad little building, their life, trying to have this little living room. So like if like you Roger basically just them. went in there and murdered them. Yeah. yeah. So if Roger hadn't shown up, they probably would would have stayed there yeah. until they died. Right. Yeah, that's one of those stories where it's like, who is the real bad guy? You know, we kind of had um, shades of that in The Bride of Hell. Yeah. Chapter three, or Revival. Revival was first published in MySpace Dark Horse Presents 8 and 9 from March and April of 2008. The Dark Horse Presents comic series, which featured many Hellboy stories, such as Wolves of St. August and Nature of the Beast, along with other Dark Horse properties, had ended eight years prior. It was revived on MySpace as an online anthology and was later collected in trade paperbacks. In October 2011, Dark Horse Digital published the story as War on Frogs number 5. Story by Mignola and Arcudi, art by Guy Davis, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. So for people who might not know, I have no idea how far knowledge of this reaches outside of southern United States. Maybe in other countries you don't know about this, maybe you do. There's probably different versions of it all around the world, I imagine. There's probably these cultures have this version of it. These cultures have this version of it. But a revival is in reference to what's going on in the first page here of the story is there's a a cult of personality dude, swindler, scammer. He sets up a tent. He's like, in the name of Jesus, I shall heal you. Or, you know, you've got a healer in here who is doing it through the Holy Spirit and they dance with snakes or sometimes they do whatever. And they're like, it's basically just a huge scam. It's a bunch of trickery and bullshit. And it's really tricking these poor, sometimes uneducated, sometimes not. Um, Sometimes they have not a lot of money sometimes you know it's it's but it's usually preying upon a, a certain community of people who really you know believe starts off with a really sinister tone to me when right. i see it. it just starts off really it's already you're like oh something fucked up is about to happen right now yeah when i saw that like everything you just said mm-hmm. went through my head you know? <laughs> sure right yeah. a young girl is brought up with a ball and the worshipers sing and clap The preacher says it's a beautiful day for a miracle. A woman is brought up in a wheelchair, and she's been paralyzed for 12 years. My child, the preacher says to the girl, is that more time than the Lord can erase? No, she says softly. And the woman is brought to the girl. You don't have to beg, the girl says softly, and kisses the woman on the forehead. And this reminds me of the Plague of Frogs. Yes, and every once in a while throughout the story, it's not all the time, it's just here and there, the little girl is depicted as having something in the middle of her forehead it's not on every panel oh, right yeah it's just every once in a while yeah. so it's really but yeah so the woman stands up and all this stuff and right she can now she can walk she says it's a miracle they all start clapping and singing and then she starts coughing and she gets on the floor and transforms into a frog this transformation panel is pretty really gruesome yeah, yeah. kind of catches her in that mid-human frog moment that is just really unsettling and terrifying in the following pages too just the the, the chaos is so perfect i mean it's really the art is so good here it's yeah. really well rendered the people running and then how how he depicts the uh frogs grabbing at people and changing immediately it's happening yeah. so fast and just the details in these little panels is just really well done it's horrifying and the whole time the little girl just stays there yeah st- totally still as all this panic really yeah horrifying. i really like that too very dynamic 
weird stuff going on. Another worshiper is brought to the girl, and she kisses him on the forehead, and he turns into a frog. And I like the ronk, that ronk sound yeah. effect. Yeah, oh, I yeah. really like that. <laughs> and then the like, I like the fade to black panel. And oh, I'm sorry, cut to black. Yeah, it good. cuts to night, and we see the revival tent all tattered. We see the chairs in the wheelchair. Um, all strewn and we about. Go straight to another one. Yeah, this this one is in Lebanon, Tennessee, and a different priest tries to perform another miracle on a man missing his right arm. The girl goes to kiss the man on the forehead. Believe in her, and you'll be healed of anything. The priest says, "Anything? Well, that's good because I got this really bad hang now." And we see Daimyo enter the revival tent with BPRD it's a good agents. Entrance. Yeah, I like that. I thought so. <laughs> Don't worry, not yet, one of the preachers says to the girl. And there's been, in the last scene and in this one, there's this one guy. He's got a green ring. Yeah. And he's this big, tall, kind of blonde guy. A man intervenes, telling Daimyo that they're free to worship in their own way. You have the right to worship a big, fat, ugly, giant frog if you want to. That's in the Constitution. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't think there's a word in there about frogs' rights. And the guy says, what the devil are you talking about? No, no, not the devil. This is much worse. But don't take my word for it. Ask her. And Daimyo points the gun at the girl. And you can see, yeah, you're right. In that panel, she does have something on her forehead. And there was one before that on, um, it's 213 on the edition I'm reading. Right. This is an outrage, the preacher says. You can't mean to harm the girl. And the agents discuss whether they should just kill everybody. But they don't know who are frogs and who aren't. That's chilling. Yeah. They're like, let's just wipe everybody out. And that's when you start to see shades of, oh, yeah, this is a government agency. Right. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I never that's really thought point. about it like that before. But, like, you know, when it was like Hellboy and Abe and Liz and all that stuff, I was like, oh, are they, are they part of the government? I never really realized right. that before. Yeah. And now I just thought they were like a ragtag team, like a Scooby gang. But yeah. now it's like, oh, you're, okay, they're a government, they're a government branch. They're right. going to fucking wipe everyone out and they do not care. It's really interesting, just the evolution of that. Yeah, and Daimyo says, ask her. Ask her about Crab Point. Crab Point, one of the worshippers says, that's a place up north where a whole lots of folks died. And we're seeing the fallout of the priest in Plague of Frogs. That's where Crab po- it took place in Crab Point, Michigan. And remember that priest was like, I made all the frog monsters. I made this thing happen. Now I'm just going to go burn myself. But like he really did. Like he really did cause all this. uh, We're still seeing the fallout from all of that. On the news, it was reported as the bird flu. So there's the BPRD spin team at work. Yeah. The worshipers all start to nope out at the sign of the bird flu. And the preacher tries to reassure them. But Daimyo says, you're losing them. I like what Daimyo says. Not bad adding salvation like that. Right, yeah. Right before he said he's losing them, I just like that that little that little jab at him. Right. Yeah. And, and a big gronk. Yeah, we hear a gronk, and the little girl has turned into one of these giant bullfrog monsters. And so this is where I kind of started to put together, is this the same one that hung Roger? Sure. Is it the one that Roger fought? Yeah. Because it was I, a little girl. And it turned into a bullfrog. Yeah, a big bullfrog. Yeah, and it was in a little dress and everything. And when oh, it and, and when Roger found it, it said the ball, the ball right I here. I am the bless the ball, and it I said I have yeah, the blessing yeah. of the Lord, and she had the thing on her forehead. So yeah, this that's is what a it really means. cool panel too when she's transforming because she still has the ball in her hand. Oh yeah, it's really cool. I really like that. Everyone runs out of the tent. Okay, then Daimyo smiles. That takes care of the civilians. Let's get to work. And he shoots at the bullfrog. So finally, they have all the civilians cleared out and. He can do what he wants to do, just start shooting, which we've seen. I really like 
this page, um, yeah, where he starts shooting and he's the bullfrog's getting the agents and he's turning around. Just that panel where he's turning around real quick. Yeah, I really love this style. I think it really lends itself well to the story. And there's even that little a little line. I like that little. It's good. The head turn line. It's just really. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, the fluidity and, of it really lends itself well to the action. Yeah, and it jumps over Daimyo impaling one of the other agents. It's trying to get out of the tent. You know this fucking weird preacher guy. He jumps in front of Daimyo's gunfire right, to yeah. prevent him from hitting the frog, and he ends up just being a dude. He's not a he's not a frog monster. He's just a dude. Right. And he he he's so we're now we're seeing. People who aren't even changed into frog monsters are like, yeah, yeah, but I'm gonna help the frog monsters, right? They should be, they should the be the ones. Yeah. They're the exactly. ones. Exactly, like that's a such weird... a great point. So now you're, f- it's just people who are totally 100 percent human, like in the frog cult, I guess. Yeah, he says it's a sad world. She, the messenger, she bears the blessing of Saduham, blessing for us all, a seed spore, hers to plant again and again, change this sad, sad world. It's interesting to me because this is something real yeah. that they can see and feel and hear and, you know, they can touch it. They can smell it. It's real. It's physical manifestation of something greater than themselves. And sure. so why wouldn't someone who would believe in, oh, the Holy Spirit and if, if you can believe in something like that and then you see something with your own eyes and you feel it with your own hands. You like, say this is a miracle. This is a real. Okay. This is what I can see someone attaching themselves to yeah. that as the most important thing in this world because it's so incredible that the power of it would really sway you. I could see that happening. So it's really interesting that they threw that in there where he even pointed out, like, you're not even one of them. Why are, right. you, why are you doing this? Yeah. And the guy's explaining, like, well, it's, it's fucking incredible. Who, who the fuck wouldn't, you know? Yeah. So it's a really interesting point of view there. I thought that was really cool. I wonder if the, uh, the frog monster came upon an actual revival and strolled in and this started is doing the thing yeah yeah and then then that guy who was there probably really into the whole maybe the probably either into the revival or the into the scam yeah either way either way this, yeah and all of a sudden they're changed and now they're a servant of Sodom. Yeah, yeah yeah i have a comment i want to make on that but i'm gonna save it for sure. in a little bit yeah <laughs> the other preacher turns into a frog and comes at daimyo and he shoots it down we got them all just about wiped out and Agent tells Daimyo. Not the big one. She's the one we're looking for. She gets away. This starts all over, Daimyo says. That's why the perimeter guys are out there. They'll handle her, the agent says. Oh, no. And this is, oh my God, this this is like such a gory. It's Awful. like, I love it, but it's also, ugh, no, I don't want to look at it, but it's I can't horrible. stop looking at it. The way Guy Davis draws like the parts flying through the air and Terrible. all that. Terrible. You really get a sense of motion as as it's pulling this guy apart. They did not handle her. Daimyo chases after her. Inside the tent, the dying preacher reaches out. A medic comes to check on him, but it's too late. Daimyo finds the little girl hiding in the woods, and she says, help me. Help you? Help you what? Help you make a better world, Daimyo says. The girl scowls at him, and Daimyo lets out a burst of gunfire. No, thanks. This one's just fine with me. And he walks away. Inside the tent, the preacher was reaching out for that ball. That was what he grabbed with his dying, like, motion or whatever. Interesting. Yeah, that was a good one. Chapter 4, or War on Frogs, Issue 2. This was published in December of 2008. Story by Arcudi. Art by John Severin. 
So John Severin, he mostly did war comics, but what I know him mostly by is he did 45 years on Cracked magazine. Did you ever read oh. Cracked? And they would oh. do like, you know. I, I used to go to the website. That's where I've seen sucking. this style before. Yeah, he did, He would do like, you know, I remember like the Seinfeld one sure. or the Robocop one where he would do like ultra there realistic. There was a Terminator one. But it was, yeah, it was kind of like caricature. Uh, what is that called? Um, caricatures. Yeah, he would do these caricatures of all these different famous movies. And yeah, that's what he's mostly known for. I so I think the, it's interesting that he's doing this book. I remember the one for Terminator 2. Do you remember what it was called? No, not at all. I don't uh, remember much about it. I just remember that that was this particular kind of style. I never, I never actually got into the Cracked magazine, but I do remember Mad magazine. Was I yeah. the same thing. Or I was think it Cracked or was it Mad? I think I'm thinking of Mad. Well, I think he might have done some stuff for Mad too, but yeah. but he, it's that whole same style of yeah. thing. I'm yeah. thinking of Mad. I don't know, and I never like bought a single issue. This is like. You're a kid, they're around, someone's got them, right. you know, something like that. You're flipping through it because you're bored, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. That makes exactly me in the dentist's office. Uh, that makes me have a weird side thought. I was showing Danielle this week. There was a cartoon online. It was called Left Hand of Doom. Oh, yeah. And it was like a mad, it was like a mad version of Hellboy, like a mad, like sure. kind of like a parody version. It was really neat. If you uh, get online, Google Hellboy Left Hand of Doom. I love the little flame. Or whatever. It was, mad. huh? Didn't you post that? No, I I don't think I posted. Somebody did though. Oh, I, I know I saw something like that. It was, it was the, neat. Yeah. It was in the Facebook group, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's May 2005, and in Colorado, Abe communicates with a field team from the base. So he's not in the field anymore, but he's still kind of taking part. He's, he's still, still doing got that something. Dumb shirt. Oh, he does. You're right. Oh my god. It's <laughs> the worst. I was gonna say he's he's kind of he's kind of trying to take on an oracle role. Yeah. <laughs> the team tells him they haven't found any frogs, just their altar and writings. And Abe says to take ample pictures over and out. The agents kind of talk amongst themselves. And this is one of the first times we just see um, just these field agents. And they kind of, we see they kind of make fun of Abe. They call him a freak. And they say, oh, he would be scared with a brother with a rod and a reel and a big can of worms. And they wonder why he isn't out in the field. And the redhead guy, we're going to learn his name is Demir's. He says something must have spooked him. Yeah, why wouldn't he want to be out in the field in deadly situations with people who don't respect him at all? Sure, right. And don't give a shit about him and make fun of him. I think that that's a really safe situation. And the lieutenant, the and the lieutenant says everyone is scared of something. Well, except I guess the big red guy. Wait, you met Hellboy? Demir's ass. And the lieutenant says that's the reason he joined the Bureau. He was a Michigan State trooper before, and he saw Hellboy take down this lake monster. And we see Severin do a cool a cool version of that. So I like how the uh, the agents are all like in awe of Hellboy because he's like a legend, and they actually never some of them never seen him, right? Or yeah. Even, so much less work with him or anything. And how long has it been since Hellboy's quit the Bureau? I guess it was two thousand one, so it's only been like four years. Yeah. And these look like kind of young guys, so maybe they were like teenagers when he quit. Yeah, or maybe they have a lot of turnover. Like we're seeing a lot of these. Oh, good all point. all these yeah. guys are, you know, spoiler alert, all, all these guys are not going to make it. So They're, they're like red shirts. Right. And we even see, that's a good point, Aubrey, because we even see that like Demir's is just glad to have this guy with them since he met Hellboy. Like that gives him some status too. The lieutenant finds that one of the doors is jammed. He calls for Varadi to use his bloop gun, 
and the bloop gun, that's a nickname for an M79 grenade launcher. But only Verati's smoking cigarette remains, and we get some good creepy lighting. I love all the Severin faces, too. He does a good job of doing all their expressions as they realize this guy is gone. It, it's not that he discovered a locked door. It seems like that that's the door they went through and got locked in. Right, right. Yeah. They talk- that, That's how I took it. Yeah, no, I, you're absolutely right. They talk to Abe, and he asks Bradley how this could happen. Bradley asks for Abe to send another team while they look for Verati, and Abe says, all right, sit tight. So I think this is important. He tells them to sit tight. He says, I'm going to send another team. Stay there. And of course they don't. Abe is like sitting there back at the base with a microphone and was that a cup of tea? Right. Yeah, he's got a cup of tea. I don't like Abe with bone structure. He, uh, I was going to mention that on, when we get to another shot. There's another shot in here where he really looks like a fish man. Like we've seen him look like kind of like a monster yeah. in Drums of the Dead. And then we kind of see like, I think Guy Davis kind of draws him as an amalgam. But in this one, he does look like a fish man. Like I think it's he like looks a, like a man. He's like a dude, yeah. Yeah. I'm not necessarily into that. Bradley asks two agents who are looking for Verati, where's Kohler? Right behind us, they say, but Kohler isn't there. A frog monster is. And the agents, they freak out. They realize the frogs are still there. And so they arm up and they start going room to room looking for the missing agents. And I think it's interesting. The frogs have strategically, they're strategically taking out the guys. First, they took the guy with the grenade launcher. And then they took the guy with the infrared. And so they're really kind of, um, they have a plan. A frog tongue enters from one of the porthole windows and grabs one of the agents. And we get this really gory shot, and they can't shoot at it or anything because the bullets will bounce all around. So uh, that is just really messed up, that part. And he's covered in all those icky spores. Yeah, uh, the frog holes or whatever. Yeah, I guess there's spores. Bradley scolds the team and starts to freak out a little bit. He says they'll get some revenge before the army comes to rescue them. So that's another, I mean... I feel bad for these guys, but they're making all the wrong decisions. And for God's sake, stick together, Bradley yells. And just then, a frog monster hangs down, and it slashes Bradley's face with its claws. Demirs and this other agent, who we learn is Dandria, shoot at the frog, but they only get its leg. Dandria says, that's it. No more hunting. Let's get out. Frog season's officially over. And back at the base, Abe stirs his little tea. Him and Cade confer over the new potential frog nest, and Dandra calls in. I can't get over the nose. Maybe that's what it is. I can't get over the nose. And the, like, I don't know, he's just too many face bones. Very strong chin, very strong jawline and cheekbones, and the nose is very, like, human man nose. It's just weird. Dandra says, only him, Demirs, and Whitcomb remain. Get us the hell out of here. Before the frogs kill us all. And um, I like Dandra's expressions and he's all covered in sweat. You know, Severin does a really good job with this. Abe asks how many frogs there are, but Dandra just yells at him. You can count them after you get us out of this tub. Over and freaking out. We're going to die in here. I know we are, he tells Demirs and Whitcomb. The agency a silhouette and they shoot at it, but it's just a decoy. One of the other dead agents to distract them. And now Whitcomb is gone. When I was reading this, like I kept thinking of like um, Bill Paxton from Aliens. Game over, man. Game yeah, over. Yeah, really. They're all <laughs> starting to freak out like that. And Abe tells them the whole platoon is on its way. There's really nothing more I can do. Dandra soon gets taken out. 
and Abe just calls him into calls his name into the mic. This is the shot where I was thinking like he really looks like a man. He looks like a like a fish man in this shot. Yeah. Demir's kills the frog, but Dandra's dead. Demir's takes a pipe and is able to bust down the door and finally get outside. And he finds that the frogs have made an altar out of their guns, which I thought was interesting. Like, they always have to make, they just get whatever they have, whatever supplies they have, and start putting it together to make those weird altars. And a pack of smokes. Oh, you're right. There is a pack of smokes in there. Interesting. Demirs is confronted by the same frog he saw inside. Only holding the pipe, he tells himself, only one way out. Just one. Later, we see the dead bodies of all the other agents. They have those frog marks all over them. The platoon leader calls into Abe and tells him, two men are still unaccounted for. So I wonder what happened to the other two guys. Did they like turn into frogs, maybe? Maybe. The other five never had a chance. And he says, say this for your boy Demirs. He knew what he was up against. By the time he got onto this deck, he knew. That makes him one brave SOB in my book. He done you boys proud. Yes, yes, he did, Abe says. And you're sure? You're sure about the frogs? Agent Sapien, I got 30 men with me and infrared and sonar. We covered this whole tub twice. So believe me when I tell you, there's just the one. And we see Demirs died taking out that last frog. So... He went out fulfilling the mission at the end. It's kind of got like a uh, like a predator feel, but if like it was predators, I'm like John Carpenter or something. Right. <laughs> it also reminded me kind of like of Gotham Central, where it's just kind of like about just the police guys and stuff like that. Or yeah, it's fine. I mean, I guess to me it felt sort of like a filler episode. Yeah, it definitely know. is. All these are kind of one shots, just focusing on this frog war. And now we're gonna read Ape Sapien Lost Lives. I mean, not that it wasn't well executed, just, you know, I don't know. Abe Sapien Lost Lives was a one-shot issue published in August of 2014, written by Mignola and Scott Alley. Scott Alley usually acts as the editor and is continuity guy for the series books. And I want to make sure we give him a shout out. Um, He does a lot for the series. This issue is number 15 in the Abe Sapien series. It, It was collected in the Drowning Omnibus and in the Volume 9 trade paperback. Several listeners suggested we include this issue here, including Mark Tweedale. So um, I thought it would be fun to include that one, although it's a fairly recent issue compared to the rest of these stories. Art by Juan Ferreira. I hope I don't butcher these guys' names um, because it's beautiful work. And the colored by Juan and Eduardo Ferreira. Letters by Clem Robbins. We open in Velarade, New Mexico in September 2005. And there's a love-in going on. A love-in is a peaceful public gathering focused on meditation, love, music, sex, and or the use of psychedelic drugs. The term was coined by Los Angeles radio comedian Peter Bergman, who also hosted the first one in March or April of 1967 in Elysian Park. It has been interpreted in different ways by different organizations, but is often connected to protesting local, social, or environmental issues such as protests less in opposition to the Vietnam War. Lovins are largely considered to be a staple of 1960s counterculture, hippie culture. And this made me think a little bit, this is a comment I was going to make in Revival. Like, I wonder if the frogs have infiltrated, like, every kind of religious aspect. Sure. Like, we see all these people, they're worshipping this, we're going to get in there. We see you worshipping this, we're going to get in there. You I know? think any kind, of, any kind of cult of personality, spiritually aligned right something where there's a person leading a group of people 
into some wacky bullshit. Right. Is yeah. And so this is kind of like revival to me, but it's disguised as a new age ceremony. So and none of this makes any fucking sense. Right. And this lady, she's kind of doing this ceremony. And then, of course, she turns into this really weird creature. It's not exactly like a frog creature. Yeah, I was curious about this, too. It's a kind of a we- it's just a weird. It might be like an Ogdruhem, yeah, maybe. A, I don't know what it is. I was wondering, did she actually turn into it or did it kind of latch onto her? Because like if you see in this like last panel on the first page. Like the tentacles coming down and a little electricity oh, joining the hand. Right. And maybe she bam. called it down. Yeah. She, because, cause yeah, you're absolutely right. Because that'll come up later in the story. Um, but, okay. Yeah. Well, it's an interdimensional kind of interaction that's happening here for sure. Kind of like maybe Goodbye, Mr. Todd or something like that, where that guy called down one of those um, jellyfish things. It also reminds me of there was a Doctor Strange book recently that, oh, I don't know what run that was. I can't remember the artist. Oh name. It was great yes, artist. it was the Donny Cates one yeah, with yeah. God. Who was the artist on that? It was well, really good. Doctor Strange could perceive all these different international, right. like whatever yeah. monsters and stuff, and so nobody else could perceive them. But here, obviously, everyone definitely perceives this, right? Because like if you see her standing there, you're like you got her head there and her no, hand sure, is yeah. up, absolutely, yeah, almost like, almost like her hands in a puppet or something. Right, <laughs> you're right. Thank you for pointing that out. After this horrific scene, we are back at the BPRD headquarters in Colorado. A BPRD agent Strode tells Abe that the New Mexico crew is back with a specimen. Abe thinks the specimen is sent by Daimyo, but we reveal the field commander was Roger. And Roger wheels in this like big worm thing in a glass tube. Stro- I like that look on Roger's face yeah, as he walks in. He's really fallen into this role. And Strode exits, and Abe asks if the specimen is dead, and Roger says it is. So they start checking it out. Abe begins his examination, and Roger comments about Abe's shirt. On the shirt. There we go, yeah. And they talk about his change. Roger says they could use him out there. He has more experience than Daimyo. But Abe just looks down. Okay, I need to brief the boss, Roger says. You and that shirt. Remember when Captain Daimyo got me to put those pants on? I mean, I'd walk over hot coals for the guy, but what was he thinking? <laughs> and while Roger's talking, he takes out this little gold trinket and he kind of plays with it. I noticed that little sun. It's like a little sun thing. And we see Abe is attaching these like little electrode things to the creature. Hot coals? Roger, I don't begrudge you on this pretense of playing soldier. I'd be a hypocrite to judge. I played that part myself for a good long, and Roger interrupts Abe. But you aren't playing a part anymore. Abe, you don't even sound like yourself. How should I sound, Abe asks. Look, whatever you saw in Rhode Island, it's messing with your head. What did Kate tell you, Abe asks. Nothing, I don't have the clearance. And so Abe fills in Roger on all this stuff. He found out that he was a scientist and not a soldier. But you're still Abe. You went to the center of the earth for Liz. You and me freed those ghosts of those women. I don't know. All of this stuff where we talk about stuff that we both know is just a huge waste of time for me. It's just boring. I skipped over it. I don't like it's like, hey, so but what about when we went to do this thing and then this happened? This specifically this beat of this storyline happened. Yeah, I remember when that beat of that storyline happened. But you should know this beat of the storyline. Like, I get it, man. I don't know. I kind of got it more as like, you know, he's just trying to trying to rile Abe up and getting back into the field. Right. It's just very clumsy. Like, it's too specific. 
for two friends to be talking about something they both know about. It's already kind of weird. And then I, I think also context. It came out in 2014, so it had been a long time since of all course. these other stories. And so I they're totally they're trying to you know. And we're reading situational. it all in order, like yeah. one right one after the other. So to me, it's just like, come on, get to the rest of the sure, story. But sure. like for everybody else, it is. I know it's super necessary for people who haven't heard about any of this for years and years. Yeah. I, t- I totally get it. It's just you know, it's a personal nitpicky thing I have. And Abe tells Roger, you know, that he was married and he, he had this whole other life. And so Roger mentions, you know, that the person that created him was the type of person that they'd be taking down if he were alive today. Should I let him define who I am now? It is hard to imagine a more inapplicable comparison, Abe says. Listen to you, Roger says. And then Vaughn comes in. And so we meet Vaughn. He comes in on crutches and with a brace on his foot and they talk. Roger tells him they're trying to get Abe back out in the action, but Abe is trying to get back to his examination. And Roger kind of gives Vaughn some shit. And so we talked about that in another one where, you know, Roger was mean to somebody. And here he's kind of like, tell him what happened to your leg, Vaughn. Abe loves those stories. I got to see Kate. And Vaughn is like, he's just giving me a hard time. I'd rather not. And so even Roger is kind of like, I don't know, I just kind of see that little evolution in his personality where he's kind of chummy enough with the guys where he has little inside jokes with them and stuff like that. I like that. Vaughn has a moment with Abe and asks him if he remembers him. Abe remembers Vaughn from Wyoming. They remember an incident with Dawson. And the Ferreyas do an awesome job with this flashback and with this frog transformation. It's really horrific. And they remember, you know... This agent, Dawson, turned into a frog and they had to shoot him. Vaughn is snapped out of the flashback by Abe asking him where he's going to go next. I got some time off. Roger's taking the squad back to Canada, Vaughn says. To rejoin his new mentor, I assume, Abe responds. And so that makes me think, like, Abe doesn't really like this change with Roger. And Abe starts to think about himself in the tube. He starts having these flashbacks to being Call and turning into Abe. And Vaughn talks about how Roger first had Hellboy, now Daimyo. We all sort of model ourselves off what we think we ought to be. But, you know, should I let him define who I am now? Vaughn mentions Agent Strode and how she's modeling herself off Liz as Abe examines. And I notice that one of the little clips comes off. We see one of the little clips come off and then we cut to this shot here. It looks like all the clips are off. So I think somehow this monster has, I think those clips were kind of inhibiting it or something hooked up to something and they're all coming off so now it's able to take Abe and we get this really awesome double splash as Abe is taken over by this monster all the tentacles going into his nose and his eyes it's really horrific yeah so it's a really good uh, panel layout too and um, I've actually been enjoying the art through this whole issue so yeah Yeah, the art is great it's really cool I love that the uh, colorist left in a lot of the pencil sketchiness oh yeah I was gonna say I was gonna say it kind of has like a pencil that's uh, what gives it that look look thank you for what i was like what is how does it look like that like but you're absolutely right all that scribbly um like sketch i love it i really love it it kind of well it it maintains the original impact of what the artist was doing right so the you know and the colorist is fantastic too the colorist it is responsible for a lot of the painting that's going on here, but he leaves in a lot of that sketchy stuff. Is the colors the same? They're person? brothers. They're brothers. Okay, They're brothers. So I think that, that yeah. Closely. And um, I look these guys up. They do a lot of covers for DC. They do some really cool stuff. 
there's this series called Calder by Dark Horse. It's really it's a horror series. It's very gory and horrific, and they do a lot of good stuff on there. Well, you can definitely see the benefits of being able to work so closely with your colorist because yeah. it's, it's yeah. good stuff. And Abe is possessed by the this monster. He's like speaking the frog language. Vaughn pushes the monster off of Abe, and then it starts attacking him. And I love the motion of this thing. You kind of get the sense that it's pulling him in and all this stuff. You kind of get a sense of how this thing is moving. As it pulls Vaughn in, we see his own face reflected in the maw of this thing. I really like that detail where you kind of see that it's like, um, I guess it could become him or something. Or Yeah, because the reflection is like wearing the sunglasses that he's not wearing anymore. Yeah. Or I guess sun, or the regular glasses. And this is just, oh, this is just really gross, really bad. As it's like going into his eyes and his mouth and his ears. The monster has Vaughn and Abe looks on. Suddenly, Roger jumps in, and I love this shot. And Roger just starts punching the monster, and the thing throws him aside. And it starts crawling on top of Roger, and it kind of pins him to the ground. But then it quickly gets electrocuted. We see that little gold sun thing got thrown to the side, also. You know, all of a sudden it gets electrocuted and we see Abe with this electrical cable. And so I like this. He knew that Roger wouldn't be hurt, you know, by the electricity. And Vaughn starts to recover. It was like I wasn't there. It wormed into my head, in there with me. I was here the whole time, right? Is that how Dawson felt? Like being shoved out of your own head? Like you can see yourself? Then I wasn't anything anymore. I was nowhere the end and we see that little gold shape at the end and so yeah that's a neat little story and in the abe sapien series it was just kind of like just one little flashback beat but it takes place during this whole war of frogs right. thing so well it also kind of asks like an interesting question you know like he's like uh how he's talking about being pushed out yeah then he was nothing and then you start thinking about like the frog monsters are they just pushed out and then the cavendish brothers were they not pushed out? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. And it also makes me think of Abe, too, right? He's kind of thinking about it in terms of... Sure. He was put... Call was pushed out by whatever Abe is now, I guess, or... Yeah, I, I actually did want to comment on that. You know, like Abe says, I was this other guy, and now, you know, I was a scientist, and now he's not going out into the field or anymore. And I'm like, were you that other guy? Yeah. Because I, I, I don't feel like he was that other guy. I mean, it's a weird gray area. Yeah. I guess we, we just haven't learned enough about it yet. But to me, it's just more like Abe is Abe and he took over and he took right. over the body of that hmm. other guy. Yeah. And he maybe he raided his closet and got his sweater or whatever. You know, it makes me think. <laughs> but it, it makes me think uh, the artist had to go back and look at those stories and see that he was wearing that sweater. Oh, yeah. Because it came out like seven years later or something. All right, now we're going to do Chapter 5, or War on Frogs, Issue 3. This one was published in December of 2009. Story by Arcudi. Art by Peter Sneetchbeerg is how I looked this up, so I hope I'm saying that right. Peter Sneetchbeerg. Colors by Bjarna Hansen. These are Danish artists who have worked with Arcudi in the past. And letters by Clem Robbins. So this is one of the first, um, you know, issues where we don't have Dave Stewart doing the colors. We open in Kansas in 2006, and Johan leads a team to a barn where they find the frogs worshiping some sort of pillar. You were going to talk, were you going to say something about this? or Was I? I don't know. We, you had mentioned in another one how we kind of saw the frog ritual evolve, and you were, and I thought you were alluding to this. Oh, yeah. Like, this is something that we have not seen before. Yeah. They're making something levitate, or they're 
they're freaking out about how it's levitating. I don't know. I've never seen a blue glowing stone. We haven't seen that. So yeah, that's a new one. I took it as that they were worshiping it because it was levitating. Yeah, I guess so. That's probably right. And then their worshiping is making it levitate. I don't know. Right. I have no yeah. idea. But yeah, it's a weird. It's weird. And it's like this cocoon or stone pillar. And the agents start to shoot at it. It kind of, yeah, it kind of reminded me of that cocoon, the Abe jellyfish thing, uh, Nanya Bisque. Mm. But the agents shoot at the frogs and the cocoon falls to the floor and they find an altar with the writings, just like we've seen in all these stories. I like this part where he goes, what the hell kind of God do these things pray to? And Johan says, if we do our jobs, we'll never know. Yeah. Kind of alluding a- to like, well, if we fucking fail at this, we're going to definitely meet these these motherfuckers so right you don't want that johan calls for the flamethrower and he says he's read the reports and he pours like a little solution on the cocoon is it like acid or what is that I that he's putting on there and the cocoon starts to like melt i guess or i don't know what teeth and appendages grow out of it he's and... got to get rid of it and yeah maybe that's what it is yeah he's trying to make sure it's destroyed and the agent returns with the flamethrower agent kraus you finished in here and Johan turns. I love the pacing of this. Yeah. And he sees these frog monster ghosts around the agent. The pacing is excellent. Not just yet, Johan says. The ghosts approach Johan. You you want something from me, he asks. Where do we go? That to me really struck me as very poignant. Yeah. I was it's very yeah. arresting. I was I was it's kind of surprised me there. I was like, oh, what oh, Yeah. What's uh, going on here? I mean, it's like the first time we see the ghosts. And then Where do like, we go? Yeah, yeah, we're ghosts now. It's like, okay. <laughs> and Johan is like, you move on to the afterlife. And they go, you're dead. Where do you go? And he's like, no, I'm, never mind. Passing on should be natural. Perhaps you feel some kind of pull. If so, simply give in to it. I like his little wiggly fingers. Here. Yeah. I like his whole cartoon physics yeah. movement because he, he doesn't have bone structure or yeah. anything like that. And so I like how they play into it in the art. Yeah, it's good. But yeah, the little frog monster ghosts are it's um it's a really interesting take on this. Yeah. I you know, there's no pull, we don't feel anything like that. Where right. where do you go? And he says, I don't think we're destined for the same place. For the most part, there's a light that makes him feel tranquil. Look for that. And then he tells the agent to go ahead and burn the place. Guess that's that, the agent says. And Johan turns around again, and he just sees those frogs are <laughs> just still looking at him. They've come out of the barn, and now they're following him. They follow them onto the helicopter. It's very kind of humorous, yeah, too. When it's... it cuts to the helicopter, you're like, oh, my God, now they're going with them. And one of these agents, um, really he's having a really bad time. Well, he's the one that burned all of them. No, I don't is think that's not? the same one. Oh, same wait, guy? you're right. It is. Yeah, it is the is. same one that burned all of them. Anyway, but he doesn't know what's bothering him. He says, man, I knew I shouldn't have eaten that boiled egg from the cafeteria. (laughs) At the headquarters, the agent affected, who we learn is named Catlett, is taken to the doctor. And Johan tells the frog ghost as they follow him along (laughs) that he'll see what he can do. This is is the kind of filler episode that I like. Yeah, we get another kind of humorous scene as Johan researches... And the main frog tells the other ghost what he's doing. They're he's all like, hanging out in the, <laughs> in the office. And they're like, what is that? And he's, as he sees the phone. And Johan's got one of these old phones. It looks like a Nokia, maybe. Yeah. Nokia? And Johan gets gets a call. We see that it's Daimyo calling. Hey, Kraus, what the hell happened on that trip? Catlett's puking his guts out. Captain, we need to talk, Johan says. The ghost man will lead us to deathless sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Can you imagine, like, if anyone else could hear these weird frog monster yeah. ghosts, like, what calamity would be going on in that office? I also like how uh, Johan like doesn't like hesitate to tell. He's like, "Look, there are ghost frogs hanging yeah. out here. They're asking me to help them find the afterlife." Yeah, <laughs> but they're so chill and cute. It's just a very weird uh, departure from what we've seen so far from these frog monster characters. Yeah, and Johan meets with Daimyo to explain the situation to him. He says it's possible they've only recently been transformed from humans to frogs, and that's why they still have spirits. Johan says he's not sure if he can lead them to the afterlife. I suspect their afterlife is nothing like ours, he says. Also, they have a strong corrupting influence, which is what is affecting Catlett. Daimyo tells Johan to figure the, figure out a reason to handle this. And I like the way that um, Sneetchbeard, I like the way that he draws Daimyo. Yeah, it looks it's good. A, it, it's a good uh, interpretation of that character. It looks a little bit more realistic to me. As Johan returns to the frog ghost, he notices that one of them is missing and he hears a scream. <laughs> the specimen refrigerator is spilling out all this gross stuff and one of them is right over Catlid and that's why he's all sick. He looks pretty bad. Suddenly all this well, gross shit. Uh, go ahead. I, was like, I, I I like when he walks in the office, he didn't even immediately do anything. He just says, there, is, there were six of you. It's right, like, yeah. There's none of this bullshit. None of that. He just walks in and goes, all right, where are the others? <laughs> well, all this, so all this gross shit spills out of the fridge and then. It's like a monster salad. Yeah. Or I was trying to think like, what is this? And one of the frogs is in there too. But he's just chilling there. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> it's a really humorous beat. He's just like, hey. <laughs> okay all right johan says you win and he I mean, lets his ghost johan he he lets his ectoplasm out and he his bag suit just falls into all that gross stuff <laughs> johan flies with the frog ghost upwards yes take a show us the ghost frog says anything to get you away from people johan says and they can't find the light so johan makes a circuit with the frog ghosts I like how johan when they said like there's no light, no pull, and Johan's like, well, you're not coming back with me. Yeah. <laughs> so he's he's having a seance yeah. as a ghost with a bunch of other ghosts. And he tells them to embrace the peace of the infinite, and suddenly the frogs see their light. Finally, Johan says. And they're all, there, there, everlasting paradise. And we see that it's just this maw of like tentacles and flies and all this just. The frogs seem pretty excited about they're it. They're pumped and they are singing. It seems the most horrible thing ever. And they're, they're like, they're I, pumped, yeah. You know, I don't know if anyone else reads music. We get some like crude music notes, but they're kind of like demonized. Yeah, yeah kinda, that's great. They, that's the first thing I thought of. They kind of yeah. look like the frog language, but in music form, they're and like I really singing. like that. Yeah, awesome kind of made me wonder what it would sound like yeah exactly it kind of looks similar to the, when rasputin said that thing remember and it was just a word bubble with a sigil in it sure. or something and it's this hell light and it starts pulling johan in and this, so this is a pretty scary moment it, you know he really has to struggle to get out of there and he just narrowly escapes it's a pretty tense horrific moment back in the bprd headquarters cafeteria Daimyo approaches Johan as he reads a Bible. Hey, Johan, you know they had to trash your other containment suit. Couldn't wash that crap off of it. So I assumed, Johan says, and Catlett's doing much better. Listen, what you said yesterday about your soul being at risk, I never thought much about that stuff in the core. Just took it for granted, I guess, Daimyo says. Not so easy to do that here, is it? Less and less so every day, Captain, Johan says, and he keeps reading his Bible. The end. And so I really like that. It, Daimyo more and more is kind of, 
you know, learning that he needs to take these other things into consideration, which is which is good. What did you guys think of these uh, War on Frog stories? It's just kind of like little snapshots as they fight all these frogs, try to gather the frogs and this and that. What did you think about that? Well, it kind of felt like back into the short story day, um, you know, when we were yeah. doing this earlier. But these are all all like all along the same beat. Yeah, yeah. So everything just one went right to the other, and you just kind of get into the war on frogs. Yeah, I think it's important as a collective, as a collected bunch of stories. It's important to know like what people are facing and all the you know the horrendous, disastrous stuff that these frogs are doing, and that all the mayhem they're causing and yeah. all the lives that are being lost and all the different disgusting ways in which they're wreaking havoc and i think that that's you know it's obviously important it's like a season arc it really is i keep coming back to that yeah. but it's very much like a you know you you have this thing it's kind of building and building and there's all these different memories you have to draw on of like oh i remember what happened with this team over here and this team over here and it's all fucked up uh it's just you know getting through some of those individual stories i found myself sort of skipping the page here and there right kind of you know like okay i remember this part i know i know the backstory it's and not I would the, kind of yeah. skip that but i can see how if you're a brand new reader and this is the first issue pick you pick up from any one of these stories you're gonna want to know what the heck is going on yeah it's guys. gonna pull so you in yeah i do understand like that's that's why that stuff is in there so yeah on on the whole it's definitely gearing up towards something really huge it's definitely yeah it's building it up and i think i appreciate that that aspect of it of these stories is that it's they're all building on top of one another and maybe by themselves these stories are kind of weird but they're not that much to be concerned it's like oh that's a little weird but then one on top of the other when you put them all together something big is really happening and so that's that's really interesting yeah me. i also like how you get to see kind of a little bit of the evolution of the team they're kind of going from being more like um mm -hmm. more like investigators to more of a paramilitary yeah kind of um Force. I mean, it's like we barely saw Liz. She was like in the beginning of like the first issue, and then we haven't, we didn't see her in the rest of it. Roger's becoming a lot more like Damio, yeah, uh, and just the way he's acting and his, his uh, I mean, it's like the, we've never seen Roger like this before, right? So, yeah. But I also like how it also ties back into, uh, you know, all the way back to Cedar Destruction when they even go back to Cavendish Hall, and yeah, it's yeah, really interesting uh, stuff. Just how how it all kind of. You know, it's all tying together and yeah. moving forward. That's what I love about this series. And I like exactly what you said, all the different character beats. I like getting, here's a Johan Daimyo beat. Here's a Abe and Roger beat over here. You mentioned there wasn't a lot of Liz. She has her own War of Frogs story, but it's all been jumbled in this reading order that we're doing. So her story works better as an epilogue to the Black Flame. Sure, okay. And so after we finish the Black Flame, that issue is going to be tagged on to the end. And so we'll talk about that one next week. We'll get a little bit more Liz cool. as we wrap up the Black Flame. So anyway, with that being said, now Aubrey's going to say all the things. So share with us your thoughts on the War on Frog stories. You can send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. You can join us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. Also, you can check out our friends at magnoliaverse.com. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. On our next episode, we'll be talking about the Black Flame stories. So pull out your back issues, trades, omnibus, libraries, digitals, or check out your local library. And Follow along with us for next time. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle Renee. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, make my mignola. Awesome. <laughs>